Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Studies Group, uh, Thursday night's Alcoholics and God uh, Speaker Step Series. Let's have our joke now. Joey the Jokester. How you doing? I'm Joey the Joke Teller, here for another joke. Um, yeah. I tell jokes. Just want to say joke again. Okay, so, excuse me. Allergies, not the vid, or anyway. All right. An amnesiac walks into a bar. He goes up to a beautiful blonde and says, So, do I come here often? (laughs) He doesn't remember. (laughs) All right, thank you. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Zach. Guys, thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise. It might distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away. And ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? So let's start the meditation.
God, God, let your love shine through me like a fog light, so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. Amen. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Mike uh, to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one. So it is kind of important to know what one is. What's up, guys? I'm Mike. I'm an alcoholic. And this is Spiritual Experience. The terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of a sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics are nevertheless, have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God-consciousness followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety, because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Hubert Spencer. (laughs) 
Thank you so much, Mike. Uh, please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. Um, this is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane meeting mode or just turn them off. Um, I'm going to introduce uh, Joe. He's going to keep taking us through. Come on. All right. Good evening, everybody. Welcome. Uh, like he had mentioned earlier, I'm an alcoholic and a member of the Wednesday Night Big Book Study Group. My name is Joe. Hello. Welcome to all those out there in the Zoomiverse and recovery fans everywhere and the smattering that's in here. It's good to be here tonight, and it's an honor and a privilege to be able to communicate the things that I've been taught and learned in this program and experienced in this program from people that are far more uh, educated, so to speak, and, and, and those that have a lot more um, understanding than I do. But I, you know, I've, I've taken some things from this, and, I, and I've really uh, had a life change. I've had a, a major shift in my thinking. Um, I used to be uh, the kind of guy that was incredibly self-consumed, self-absorbed, uh, very, very concerned about what other people thought about me, what they were saying about me, what they were thinking about me. Now, it's really difficult to figure out what people are thinking about you. But if you have any kind of, uh, you know, feeling about yourself that may be uh, less than normal, uh, you're probably thinking that they're thinking that about you, right? And uh, my my fear came from if people really knew how I felt about myself. Uh, they wouldn't like me. They certainly wouldn't uh, respect me, and they 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 may ignore me, and uh, that terrified me. So my life, uh, you know, became a an ultimate masquerade. It was it was one that uh, I wore a mask for everything, and I was a you know I was a different person to every person that I came into contact with, and I always had a payoff in mind with whoever it was that I came into contact with. So it was always, however I was portraying myself. It was in a fashion that I thought you wanted to see. And uh, because there was something that I wanted from you, even if it was just validation, even if it was just an acknowledgement that I was something other than how I felt inside. So <clears throat> consequently, I had diverted in my childhood from, uh, you know, growing up with proper perspective. And, um, you know, my, pers- my perspective came incredibly skewed and, uh, my interpretation of things were not what normal people's interpretation of things were because they were always influenced by the way I felt about myself. And I always felt rather inadequate. I always felt kind of detached, uh, awkward, right? So, you know, we've been, and th- this program has taken me from that individual and given me complete freedom from that. I mean, that, that is such a miracle. It's such a gift and a supernatural act, I might add, that. You know, I could come in here, uh, you know, many years ago, just completely paralyzed and and crippled in my own mind and in my own thoughts and in my own uh, um, opinion of myself to where I could go to a level of life where I become an authentic, uh, empowered, enlightened, outrageous, fully self-expressed individual. And uh, not really give much of a hoot about what other people think about me, you know, because I've been given the proper, I've been I've been armed with a lot of the facts about, you know, 
what life is all about. John had ta- taught me uh, how to be a man, how to, ta- how, to, how to grow up, how to actually function in the world and to become responsible and accountable and the things that, that we, I feel are important to incorporate in your life uh, moving forward so that we can make effective decisions, so we can have proper outcome. Because I wasn't real happy with the outcome that I was getting. I don't know why this thing, it, I think it's because my shirt is pulling it down. Got it? Nice. Thank you. Technical malfunction. Difficult. Equipment malfunction. Didn't even know what that was until a few Super Bowls ago. Anyway, um, so we've been talking about, you know, what we suffer from and the disease of alcoholism. For me, I had found the solution when I found alcohol. I found something that would... uh, Give me relief and, and, and erase all those things, those self-conscious thoughts, all those things that I felt about myself and thought about myself and had to, 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 to portray when I was with other people. I always felt that I had to um, perform. And uh, when I found alcohol, I didn't have to do that anymore. You know, I really didn't care. Um, uh, you know, so all the, all, the, all the things that were dominating my thinking and, and, and having me move and navigate through life all of a sudden, I was released from that ball and chain that literally held me accountable to you, right? I mean, we, we talk about this concept of God. We talk about a conception that we come in here with, good, bad, or indifferent. It doesn't matter. It's still an idea of what God is and who he is and perhaps what our relationship to him is and maybe what our purpose and destiny is with relation to him. Some of us don't get that far. Some of us just, you know, we, we, we have this... Uh, uh, understanding of God, how it was presented to us. It wasn't much, and you know we kind of ran with it. And if you're anything like me, even though I was brought up in a family that had pretty much moved me through parochial schools and given me education on uh, religion and things of that nature, and I had a, an understanding of who God might be, I never sought to establish a relationship with that God. And I think this is important because for whatever reason, I knew a lot about God, at least how I was taught about God. may have been completely different from somebody down the street or next door, but that's all I had. And even though I had that understanding, my approach to happiness, ease, and comfort was a horizontal approach. It was an earthly approach. It was everything that was in the world was important to me. Anything that was like out of the world or supernatural or detached from the world or, you know, in the, in the spiritual realm, I didn't give it much thought because it wasn't going to satisfy me the way I wanted to be satisfied. I, you know, for unconscious, you know, I would think about these things and I'd think, well, that's going to take way too long to work, you know, to depend on God to provide these things. So we come in here and we find out we have this fatal disease and we have this life sentence that uh, dooms us to drink ourselves to death. And, I mean, literally. We have a, uh, uh, a beast inside our skin that is, consists of two, two components. One is physical, one is mental. And um, you know, the, 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 mental, the mental aspect always precedes the physical ingestion of alcohol. I have to think about it. I have to think about whatever I'm thinking about. 
that is creating emotions and feelings within me, and it's directing me to take an action or an inaction, right? And typically the way I was thinking and the way I was feeling, I was always looking to feel and think differently than what was going on in me at any given time, didn't matter when it was. So when I found alcohol, I found my solution. Um, and, you know, we, we have this allergy to alcohol, this physical allergy that, that uh, when we ingest alcohol, it sets up this craving. You know, we've talked about this, that uh, I can't control or moderate once I ingest it, right? It's just that, I mean, if that fits for you, then you've got one component of it. The other thing and most important thing is that I can't stay stopped, right? I have a obsession in my mind that comes in the form of a lie or a conversational lie that's going to doom me to drink myself to death because of an internal condition that wants to escape. That's full of fear and remorse and shame and bitterness. Feeling like a loser and feeling like a failure and feeling, you know, I'm never going to, I'm never going to measure up. I'm never going to be able to get this thing. You know, I've done it so many times. I've tried to come in and go out and detox and then I would retox. And it was, it was like nobody else believed I was going to get sober either. You know, they were giving up hope too. But they never truly gave up hope the way I gave up hope. I got to a place where I was completely without hope. And here they say in this program that, you know, even though I've got this, this malady, this sickness, this allergy and obsessional lie, that in, you know, that, that, that's going to condemn me to drink myself to death. However, unless it's interrupted, unless it's, unless it's corrected somehow, where my mind will not think that I can put the poison that's killing me in my body. Where my mind will go to only being able to remember what booze did for me rather than what booze did to me to a conversation of when I'm tempted or I get up against it or I think of wanting to escape or get relief, I, you know, I may have for a split less than a second have a thought of wanting to medicate that to get relief. But all of a sudden, that, that thought of what it did to me comes into my mind. So the, the conversation in my mind has completely done a 180 from what it did for me to what it did to me. When I know that happens, when I, and you'll know it. You'll know it when you get tempted and you're in, you're in sobriety and you're moving on through this thing and everything's going well, that you'll get tempted. But your mind won't go to the place of what it did for you. It will immediately go to what it did to you and you recoil from it from a hot plane like, whoa, what am I thinking? That's crazy talk, right? And, you know, my sponsor always said, be careful who you're conversing with. He said that I used to have these, this, this, you know, this conversation with the idiot. I would consult with the idiot. And one half of my mind was selling, the other half was buying. I wouldn't talk to anybody else about it. But for me to say, you know, at so many years sober that, you know, uh, well, it, I, I'm sure I could have just one. That would be crazy, Inse- certifiably insane. Then we find out that step two says that we have a solution. Bill and Bob, by divine providence, were brought together. Bill went and saw Bob because he felt like drinking. He didn't go to see Bob to cure him of his problem. Bill went to Bob so he could stay sober because he knew working with one alcoholic to another that he could stay sober. That was, that was the secret. That was the key. So, you know, and then, you know, if, if, if we move into this place where only a power greater than myself can restore me to sane thinking, 
right? Can restore me to what I had just mentioned about restore me to what it did to me rather than entertaining what it did for me. If I can seek this power the way they've got laid out, that I'll be able to have this transformation in my mind and acquire the spiritual awakening that they're talking about such that I'll be recovered from the hopeless condition of the mind. And if I recover from the hopeless condition of the mind, automatically you're going to recover from the body because the mind was always telling the body what to do. Got it? So I think it's important that, you know, there's, there's just a couple of things in here where we talk about more about alcoholism. Um, you know, we talked about Roland Hazard last week, and he went and he got a dose of self-knowledge, didn't he? He, he consulted with the best-known psychiatrist on planet Earth next to Sigmund Freud. His name was Carl Jung. And um, he goes over and treats with him for a year, and he gets drunk on, a, on a, you, know, the, you know, within days after leaving his, his uh, care in Europe. And he goes back to the doctor. He says, doctor, please. He says, well, how could this happen? I had a profound knowledge of the inner workings of my mind. How could that possibly have, how could I have possibly drank? And Carl Jung says, you had the mind of a chronic alcoholic, and I've never seen one case like you recover. He felt like the gates of hell closed in on him with a clang. I I couldn't even imagine having the most brilliant mind on earth telling me that. And he said he felt doomed. He says, isn't there any exception? (laughs) Carl Jung says, yes, there is. Cases like yours have been occurring since early times. And I'm going to read it to you because it's really profound because this is what we're after. My psyche, when Dr. Silkworth talks about entire psychic change, unless you have an entire psychic change, there's very little hope of your recovery, right? This is what he's talking about. My psyche produces thoughts that are condemning me to death. They're condemning me to have everything that has happened repeat itself. It can't not happen. My mind was wired for self-destruction. It had no wherewithal, no, no, no interpretation or perception of how to start to live a life that was, that was you know, um, um, in a positive direction. So, I mean, the roadmap was set. And so this doctor from Europe, right, in Switzerland, gives us the solution to our problem. Didn't know how to tell us to go get one, but he certainly knew what it involved. He says, um, uh, exceptions to cases such as yours have been occurring since early times, Roland. Here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. To me, these occurrences are a phenomenon. In other words, he didn't know how to tell him how to get the experience or where they came from, but they were spiritual in nature. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional re- displacements and rearrangements, ideas, emotions, and attitudes. Our psyche, our mind, our thinking, the whole understanding of how we're supposed to navigate on earth with other human beings to provide safety for ourselves and live comfortably and all that stuff, how we're supposed to do life. It all comes from here, right? He says, these things, these ideas, emotions, and attitudes which which were once the guiding forces of the lives of us men are suddenly cast to one side. The reason he talks about suddenly is because he's referring to Bill's story. 
right? Bill is injecting this sudden, profound spiritual experience, this explosive change where old attitudes, ideas, and beliefs are automatic are, are 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 profoundly in an instant cast aside, and a whole new set can, begins to dominate his thinking. Most of us don't have those. Like his was like a white light experience. He talks about it being in a hospital room. Being on top of a mountain where the wind went blew blew through and through, it was a it was a real out of body experience for him. But most of us don't have that. William James, good for William James. He he let us know what we had. We had this gradual, of the educational variety, spiritual awakening. It says where, and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. In fact, I've been trying to produce some such emotional rearrangement within you. Now listen, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to cover this because I think it's important for all of us. So we hear that, right? I don't know if you're anything like me, but I would automatically revert back to anything that I knew about God. Anything that I did for God, anything, any kind of uh, religious convictions or attendance or things of that nature that I was taught to do. I didn't know any other way, right? I never had a vote in the matter where I said, well, you know what, I'd like to go down and try something different, like you know, go to Johnny's Temple. I didn't do that when I was like five, eight years old. I, I did what my parents told me to do. I was what they said I was. I didn't think there was any kind of a uh, uh, room to negotiate in that agree. I had to agree, right? At least that's how I felt. So, um, you know, so I had always, when I got to this step of make a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God, I knew what that looked like, or at least I thought I knew what that looked like. I need to go back and double down on my attendance. I need to do certain things and confess and do all these, and maybe that'll work. Maybe maybe it's the maybe it's the 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 uh, number of times that I go per week. Maybe that's the ticket. Like going into recovery. Maybe if I go to fifteen meetings a week, that I'll get recovered, right? As if the meetings are going to have that obsession come out of my mind, right? So I thought it was I thought it was the mechanics of it. It says, but. So Roland, what does he do? I mean, it's, he does what most of us do when we're confronted with that spiritual or godly talk, right? It says, uh, upon hearing this, our friend Roland was somewhat relieved for he reflected that after all he was a good church member. Well, his mom probably dragged his butt to, to church every single Sunday, you know? I don't know if he voluntarily went to church, but I didn't. I mean, I was I was brought with all the rest of my family. It was a mandate. It was, you know, there was no negotiation. And notice what the doctor says. He says, this hope, however, was destroyed by the doctor telling him that while his religious convictions were good, in his case, they didn't spell the necessary vital spiritual experience. And do you know why? Because attendance, convictions, knowledge has nothing to do with it. The only thing that's going to have us connect with a power greater than ourselves, God, is the development of a relationship. And we've got to start somewhere. However rudimentary it is, how basic it is, how confusing it is, how, you know, it doesn't matter what it is, but it is the conception that we, uh, that we have of this creator called God. Some may frown upon it, some may argue against it, some may take an atheistic opinion about it, or an agnostic opinion about it. I like to call myself an agnostic Catholic. That's what I was when I got here. People would ask me, well, what's your faith, Joe? 
I say Catholic. What do you think? I don't need to read that thing called we agnostic. What do I need to read that for? I'm not an agnostic. I'm a Catholic. That's how stupid I was. That's how ignorant I was. Always pretending to be smart. Like, I've got the answer for you. Just ask me the question. And I had no idea what I was talking about. So I equated religion and faith as the same thing. People would say, what faith are you? I'd say, I'm Catholic. How's your faith? Well, you know, it's, it's such and such. I go to church on Sunday. That's my, you know, how, how's that for an answer? You know what I mean? It's like, I didn't know how to answer the answer because I didn't know the question. I didn't understand the question, right? So I had to get with a man armed with the facts about this thing that would break this thing down for me and, get, and spoon feed it to me so that I could let go of old ideas, attitudes, and beliefs. Because I'm going to tell you something, people. Prejudice is mentioned many times in We Agnostics. We Agnostics is all about step two, right? It's mentioned many times, and there's only one place that I can gain prejudice from, prejudging saying that that doesn't have value for me or that concept's not going to be important to me or this is, I would discount things. Herbert Spencer, contempt prior to investigation. I'm dying, I'm dying of untreated alcoholism, begging for a solution, and then they give me the solution, I want to argue about it. No, what are you talking about? No, there's got to be some other way. I almost did that till I was dead. I almost did that, drank myself to death in that argument, how insane is that? Like if the only way out, the only solution that we have been given with the disease of addiction is to seek a very simple, con- to, to, to begin a very simple set of instructions, right? Remember we talked about it. It's a textbook. It's a set of instructions that if we follow them, our belief will be sure to come to us. They say, it, they say that. If you do certain things, your belief will be sure to come to you. Well, good Lord, what did I have to lose? How well was what I was doing working out? That's what my sponsor would say. Well, how well is what you've been doing working out, Joe? How valuable has that argument been for you, Joe? Homeless, beaten, pummeled, lost, hating my own guts, wishing for the end. Oh, it's been working good, John. Let's argue some more. Really? But here's a program that that has worked for millions of people. So what does that mean for me? I'm going to have to get rid of old ideas, attitudes, and beliefs. I'm going to have to have this spiritual transformation that they're talking about. And the only way to get it is to stop the debate, stop the need to negotiate, stop the argument. And Joe, do you want to live or do you want to die? It's that simple. I can't get you there, Joe, and you can't get you there. I can show you the path, but booze and drugs got to do its job on you. They got to beat you so unmercifully that they'll beat you into a place where you're teachable, where the argument is dead, where the need to negotiate is dead, because you're, you're a walking dead man now. How could you argue with that? So if you're out there, And you're wondering, my God, what do I got to do? Well, that's exactly what this book is all about. And that's exactly what it says in here. That's exactly what this book is all about. It says this. 
So, so we know what the deal is. We know that we have to undergo this transformation, this conversion. We're old attitudes, ideas, and beliefs. Basically, what I think I know right, has got to be discarded and gotten rid of and supplanted with a whole new set of conceptions. If you'd like, I mean, it's the perfect illustration is Constitution. We're going to talk about that and how it works tonight, right? You got to understand, people, when we get here, if we still think we know the way out, we're not done. You're just not done. If you get here and you say, I have no idea how to get where I'm going, I can't get me there anymore. You got to teach me. You got to tell me. You got to give me instruction. Please, I'm dying. I want to die. Please show me the way out. Before ego can get involved, before the ego can come back in the form of argument and debate and picking and choosing the what I'll do and what I won't do, my sponsor needs to get me engaged. Door number one, do you want to live? Or door number two, do you want to die? Guess what? There's no door number three, period. You don't have any other choice. And how do I know that? It's because of evidence. I've been trying to do this thing for 20 years. I lived out on that street called Broward Boulevard. I call it Troll Avenue for 16 years. On and off the pavement. With a Publix bag with all my possessions in it. That was it. Aimlessly wandering nowhere. We'll just... Hating myself and hating what I did to my family. Death was more attractive to me, people. Living was not the answer for me, not another breath. So when I got here and John presented me with this information, he says, so, okay, there's a couple of things we're going to come to the conclusion. You're going to make the declaration, Joe, based on what you're telling me about how done you are and how willing you are to follow directions. Because you know your thinking's putting you here. It's what you know that's killing you. And it's what you don't know that's going to save your life. I will teach you what you don't know. But there won't be any debate. There won't be any negotiation. And you're not going to pick and choose. You are going to do what they say you've got to do to get this thing that they talk about in step 12. I said, yes, sir, I'm ready. I said, I'm ready. And if, you, if this doesn't give me the opportunity to experience life different, to see life different, to feel life different, to have different relationships with people, I'm going to take myself out. I can't take it. And he goes, just give me a little, bit of, a little bit of your life. And I trusted him. I believed him. He gave me the hope. He had depth and weight. He knew where I came from because he described where he came from. So I knew he was a guy with a real answer. I knew he wasn't feeding me a bunch of garbage. And I knew that what I had been trying was failing every single time. My idea of how I think I need to recover, about how I'm going to remain comfortable, about how I'm going to seek ease and comfort, about what I'm going to do, what I won't. Good God, how long do you need to do that? Right? So it says, uh, it says this. I got, I got bookmarkers now. So it says this and more about alcoholism. It says, whether a person, whether such a person, meaning us, can quit upon a non-spiritual basis. In other words, if you don't need a spiritual solution to your problem, you just stop, then you're not one of us. You're just not, right? You're probably a hard drinker, and if there's an operative reason or you know, something that's overwhelmingly important to you, like loss of family, loss of job, loss of health, loss of freedom, you can stop or moderate. But for the real alcoholic, they've crossed the line. They've crossed into the realm of they can't stop when they start, and they can't stay stopped. They can't stop starting, right? 
Um, it says to that extent that you can quit upon a non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent to which you've already lost the power to choose whether you're going to drink or not. And I don't think anybody in this room woke up at any point at that time of our life and says, you know what, I'm just going to choose not to drink today. Are you kidding me? If I could have chose not to drink, do you think I'd become the AA? I mean, I love AA. But I, I got other things I could probably be doing. I'd probably be a whole lot more successful and consistent in life if I could have just stopped, right? So that's important information. And then, of course, you know, the, the, the stories that they talk about Jim and, the, and the Fred and the, the, the Man 30. And, you know, there's something that's pretty consistent with all of them is that they were very nervous in the morning. Of course we were. Wake up from an alcoholic, you know, blackout. You're going to be a little nervous, right? And... uh but the thing that they, many, like Jim, he, they told him what they knew of alcoholism, just like people in, come into AA, we tell you what we know, that it's the malady of the sickness, the inability to stay stopped, the inability to control once you start, and that there's a spiritual solution. Got it. Crystal clear. We make a determination that we're going to be in this thing. We go to some meetings, but we never make a decision. There's only one way that you make an effective decision and that you validate that decision with action that, that is, is married to it, right? So when we get to, uh, let's see, a couple of things that, that I think are really profound. It says in the, in the in We Agnostic, it says um, we get to this place where we're confronted with a, with a uh, proclamation or declaration, whatever you want to call it. Where we are going to be asked, it says, do I now believe, for the believer, or am I even willing to believe that there's a power greater than myself? See, it's not asking us to avoid the situation of God. It's putting it right here, right? In the beginning of this chapter, it says lack of power was our dilemma, right? That, you know, a, a dilemma is, is a decision that we have to make between two unpleasant pleasant outcomes. I mean, you know, it's kind of like that way. Dilemma right? That lack of power. I didn't have the power to stay stopped, right? So it says, well, obviously that's the crux of the problem, but where and where how are we to find this power? It says, that's exactly what this book is all about. They don't leave anything up for me to make decisions about. They don't ask for my input or opinion. I'm dying. <laughs> it's like, that's what this book is all about. We're going to tell you exactly how to get it. You just got to be able to follow instructions and be teachable. Oh, right? Ego doesn't want anything to do with that. Ego does not want anything to do with being teachable and following directions, right? So it says, do I now believe or am I willing to believe that there's a power greater than myself? As soon as a man or woman can say that they do believe or at least willing to believe, and why would we be willing to believe at this juncture? We're dying. We're dying. And people are asking us, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. And be dying inside, just rotting from the inside out. Self-consumed. What are they thinking? What are they saying? Oh, my God. Feeling all alone in this world. What have I got to lose by being willing to believe? What have I got to lose, Right? And notice what it says. Please listen to this. As soon as a man can say that he does believe or is willing to believe, 
We emphatically assure him he's on his way. Holy, I get goosebumps thinking about it. That is good news. It doesn't say, you know, we kind of, you know, we want to kind of let him know that he's possibly on his way. No, they don't say that. They don't mince words. They're not vague. It says we emphatically assure him or her that she or he is on his way. And all we have to do is just be willing to believe that, this, that there's a possibility. Just to believe, it. for me it had to be a possibility that I could have a different relationship with God. Other than the one that I grew up with. Because I knew that was not going to get me where I wanted to go. I knew that it wasn't sufficient to overcome alcoholism. Got it? How did I know that? Evidence. Evidence. What happened in my life? I tried it. I tried just not drinking and going to meetings. I tried all of those things. And I kept getting drunk. Why? Because the obsession to drink, the lie, had never been removed because of the things that I do in here, right? So listen to what it says. It says, it says, we emphatically assure them that they're on their way because they're talking from experience. They're saying, this happened to us. We, we know it's going to happen for you. As long as you're willing to believe. It has been repeatedly proven among us that upon this simple cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. They're talking about an arch, a spiritual arch. And the first stone that I'm going to put in place when I build that arch on a solid foundation of absolutely knowing I'm without power and that I need power. Right? That's my foundation built on rock. The first stone that I lay for an arch is a cornerstone. And they say that this concept was the cornerstone through, I, through this arch that I would build th- through which I'll walk a free man. Free. Free. So, good news. Then... You got to understand this too, because a lot of people get caught up in this stuff, and it's really not that big of a deal. When we are given a program, spiritual in nature, which, if one practices a way of life, can expel the obsession to drink and make the, the sufferer happily and usefully whole. God, that sounds good, doesn't it? We came in here fractured in a thousand pieces. There's a lot of people in this program that have been in this program for months and years still fractured in a thousand pieces because they haven't done this. And they say that this is a spiritual program based on spiritual principles that if when practiced and incorporated as a design, I can live a free man. I can be empowered and enlightened. I can be fully self-expressed. I can have boundaries that nobody will trespass over and be protective of those boundaries and be a respectable human being, right? I don't know about you guys, but that that sounded so like out of the realm of possibility for me. But I believe what John was telling me. And if we have this whole thing that's really saying that we're going to we're going to work this program to establish this relationship with this power that will relieve me of the obsession, relieve me of the lie, change that conversation about what it did for me to what it did to me, right? That it is this relationship with God, this concept of God that I'm going to build on and nurture and cultivate so that God becomes my ease and comfort. So that every time I'm in a jam, I seek Him. Every time I need counsel, I seek Him. 
Every time I need to talk to somebody, I seek the person that reflects him, right? If I, if I, can, if I can wrap my head around that, then it asks this question. Listen to this question. It says, when we became alcoholics, crushed by a self-imposed crisis, we don't blame anybody else for this deal. We're the authors. We're the design. We're the fabricators of everything that's happened in our life. Yeah, there's been some things that may have happened to us as children that we still reflect on, but if we're still telling that story at this juncture, we're looking for a payoff for telling the story. So listen, it says, crushed by a self-imposed crisis, we could not postpone or evade. We had to fearlessly face the proposition that at this juncture, that either God was going to be everything or there's going to be nothing. God God either is or he isn't. That God is going to be everything or he's going to be nothing. Do you know what happens when boy comes into, or boy or girl comes into AA and they're going to meetings and they're not drinking and everything's kind of like moving along. You got a little jobby job and making a little money and, you know, and, and all of a sudden you look across the room and you get a smile. It's like, oh my God, she noticed me. And your sponsor is desperately trying to get you engaged in this, which is really all about establishing this relationship that will save your life. Immediately, 85% of your focus goes on that girl. Before the meeting's over, you got a U-Haul taking her away on a fabulous trip. No, that's how we operate, right? We're gonna, you, you probably already have thoughts of what you're going to name your first child. And it's all in your mind. And you can't get around in your mind. Do you know how many people that derails in AA? Do you know how many people that need to be focused on the very thing that's going to save their life and correct all the collateral damage that we've created in our families and so forth? And, and we're going we're gonna to just delude our minds and divert our minds off that course. It happens all the time. It can be the job. It can be the girl. It can be, can be anything. As long as it's a distraction, good enough for me not to deal with the here and now and be focused and devoted and obedient to this, I'm going to lose. You know, they say half measures avail you. Of course, Zoomiverse already, they just said that, right? Avails you nothing, right? I say no. If you've tried half measures and lived, it avails you tremendous pain. Most people half measure and die. Most people will hold on to those old attitudes, ideas, and beliefs. And they may stay stark, rave, and sober for a while, but they're the most miserable people on earth. Just talk to them. You see them coming, you turn around. Always negative, complaining, bitching and moaning about this, that, and the other. Nothing's good enough. Nothing's good enough. Because they're suffering from untreated alcoholism, just like I did for 16 years in and out of AA. I was walking around with an alcoholic mind trying to figure it out and tailor make my program. You know, that was the deal, right? I mean, you talk to people, well, I'm working my program. Like, like what does that even mean? Like, I'm working my program. I'd look at them and go, oh, my God. You're not done. You're not done, right? So there we go. That's why when it says we had to fearlessly face the proposition that we're going to give this thing everything or we're going to give it nothing. 
Nothing can coexist with this. Do you understand? This has to be the priority because we're the ones that are dying from alcoholism. If it's not the priority, I can't put my car up there. I can't put my family up there. I can't put her up there. I can't put the job up there. I can't expect to attend to all of them like it's a, like it's a juggling act. Either, either it's going to be here or I'm not going to get it. Either it's going to be central to everything in my life or I'm not going to get it. What's the central fact? That God's entered into our hearts and lives in a way that's indeed miraculous. Central to everything, to everything. I mean, it's, we go about our business all day long. Mike, and I know you know that. We're thinking about him. We're thinking about what he's done for us. I can't believe you're doing that for me. In spite of me. I'm like, you know, I don't, sometimes I don't feel worthy. I don't feel like I deserve what I get. It's amazing. And that's just an old tape. You know, that's not coming from him. That's coming from someone else saying, no, you're not good enough. You know what? You need to go the other way. That's what it is, right? So here we go. So we make this decision. All right. So when we get to how it works, so we've concluded three things, right? We've concluded. Up to this point, if you're with me and you're following along and you're going, yeah, that makes sense, right? It says, A, that we're alcoholic and couldn't manage our own life. Know exactly what that means know exactly what that means. I don't have to hear 15 speakers talk about my alcoholism to determine. I just got to read this information and marry it with my experience. That we're alcoholic and couldn't manage our own lives, a.k.a. thinking, because the life is the snapshot of the thinking, right? Probably, that probably no human power could have relieved, probably. I mean, I got to put these little disclaimer words in there. For me, it was absolutely no human power. And I, believe me, I tried every one of them. I burned them out trying to help me up. But not one of them could keep me stopped. Right? Not one. So that's the way I look at it. B, probably no human power could have kept me stopped. C, that God couldn't would if he were sought. And that's step two. Right? I'm coming to that conclusion. I'm making, okay, I, what I was doing wasn't working. I'm going your way. I'm going to do what you say. What's next? Well, first it says this. It says, being convinced of those three things, we're at step three, which is that we decided to turn our will, which is our thoughts, and our life, which is our actions, the result of the thoughts, right, over to the care of God. I need to put these in the care of this most high power, this other power that people are saying works tremendously in their lives. I say, do I want to argue about it? Do I want to debate about it? No, I can't. I, that's got to be gone. Booze and drugs got to do that job for me, right? Mike can't do it for me. Nobody on human, uh, no human on earth can do that for me. I've got to get done on my own, right? So being convinced we decided that we were going to turn our will and our life over to the care of God as we understood Him. Right? What is our conception of Him? We're going to start to build on that conception. We're going to start to build on a lot of the things that we feel would be intimate and empowering from this God concept that I can, that I can trust in my life. You know, if I've been taught that God was punishing this, that, and the other, I'm going to turn that around because you know what? I get to. I get to say that he's loving and all-powerful. I get to say he can be my director and my comforter. I get to say that he can be my, my counsel and my healer. 
I can get, I get to say that. If that's who I want him to be, that's my conception of this loving and powerful God that will relieve me of this disease. That will spare me my life because they're not talking about anything else in here. They're not talking about a doorknob or a chair. They're talking about my conception, right? It says, uh, the first requirement is that Joe be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be as successful. If you haven't examined your evidence, then shame on you. At this juncture, you probably should. What have you been able to accomplish with all your ability, talent, and skills in the realm of effective living in the recovery world? Effective relationships, empowering, authentic, transparent relationships, boundaries, consistency, commitment, integrity, honor, you name it, right? So that's all the opposite is what I got, right? On my self-will. But they're going to tell me the thing that's going to absolutely derail me once I'm at this juncture. So I'm at this juncture. I'm powerless. I want to seek the power. And then you say that he'll come if I was to seek him, that it'll come. The first requirement is I've got to be convinced that any life run on my will can hardly be a success. Does anybody have any problem with that? Like, do you look into your past and see evidence and say that you, you, you came here with you know, a bucket of roses and everything was fine and glorious? Right? Please. Why would you come to AA if you had that going on? Right? It says this. The one person that can derail me from this whole pursuit that can get in the way and destroy everything that I'm hoping to accomplish is the person in the mirror. Says this, any life run on self-will can hardly be a success on that basis. Joe, running on self-will, how it always was, is almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though his motives are good. Joe tries to live by self-propulsion, self-reliance. Joe's like an actor who wants to run the whole show. I want to be the... I know I'm the actor, but I want to be the director. That's who I want to be. I want to direct this thing. I want to control and tell you what it's going to be. I want to be right about everything and, and you know, dictate terms, right? Wants to, wants to forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in his own way. Joe's arrangements would only stay put. So I get up in the morning and I write this script about how the world's supposed to act, how all my expectations are supposed to come forth, how you're supposed to act, the response I'm going to get from you. Everything is scripted out exactly how the, 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 the day is supposed to go. And I have all these expectations. There's a problem with that. One, it never comes to fruition. never happens the way I want it to happen. And I forgot that all you are walking around with a script too. And it's nothing but battle of the will. Battle of the will. You want yours. You want your outcome. I want mine. Who's going to win? Right? Nobody. Nobody wins. Says, uh, if only people would do as I wish, the show would be great. Don't you know? Everybody, including myself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. Utopia. And trying to make these arrangements, I, make, I can be virtuous. I can be quite virtuous. I can be kind. I can be considerate, patient, generous, and even modest and self-sacrificing because I've mastered every trait. I know how the game is played, and I'm going to game you with whatever I need to game you with. I can be the kindest guy in the world, and I can tell you how wonderful you are just so I can stab you in the back and steal your wallet. And I can do it. I used to be able to do it. 
On the other hand, Job may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. A little victimese, right? But as with most human beings, I've most likely, I'm most likely to have varied traits. I say I'm most likely to have mastered all traits. What usually happens, the show doesn't come off very well. Joe begins to think life doesn't treat him right and starts sucking my thumb and crying like a baby, kicking my feet. How dare you not respond to me the way I want you to, right? But I decide if I exert myself a little harder, if I just manage it better, I'll become on the next occasion still more demanding or gracious as the case may be. Still the play doesn't suit Joe. Admitting Joe may be somewhat at fault, he's sure you're more to blame. Victim, 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 right? He becomes angry, indignant, self-pitying, restless, irritable, and discontent, I might add. What is his basic trouble? Is he not really a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? Is he not gaming you for the payoff he's always wanted from you? Is he not a victim of the delusion that he can wrest satisfaction out of this world if he only manages it and controls it better, right? Is it not evident to the rest of the players that these are the things he wants? They get my game. Guess what happens? They expose me. And I get a resentment. And I toss them away like a piece of garbage. But the resentment goes nowhere. The resentment's embedded. It's inhabited by me and cultivated. And it goes into retaliation mode. You see, it says, bottom line, it said, I'm self-centered, egocentric, as people like to call it nowadays. I was the walking, talking imposter. Right? So they say this. So I'm not really my own worst enemy. I'm like my only enemy. I'm the one that's going to kill my... I'm going to, I'm going to take myself out by, by being this way. It's what I know that's killing me. It's what I don't know that's going to save my life. And the greatest obstacle, and I've said this before, the greatest obstacle to learning anything is that which you already know. Because you think, we think we've got a better answer. There's nothing you can teach me, right? So it says this. It says selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles, the core, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past we've made decisions based on self, self-satisfaction. Self-glorification, whatever. And the later place us in a position to be hurt. Resentment means this, to feel again. R-E in front of any word means again. Sentiment means to feel. To feel again and again and again and again and again. Like an instant replay machine that just won't shut down. And I finally pass out when I put my head on the pillow and I wake up and I flick on that retaliation machine. I go into a, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. I'm going to lie and wait, and I'm going to get you. I'm going to get my pound of flesh. I'm going to get it back. Because you made, you, you, you made me angry in, in polite ways, in polite speak. So our troubles, we think, are basically our own making. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot. I've run myself into a, riot, a riotous state of mind, nothing but conflict and chaos within me, pretending to everybody else. And I'm good. Everything's fine. I'd be dying inside. What a fraud. What a masquerade. 
You have to drink with that. You can't not drink with that. You have to medicate that. And if you come into AA and you don't, you don't address this, and you don't look at this, and you don't do the surgery that's necessary, it's not a matter of if you're going to drink again, it's when. Or worse. So it says, first of all, we had to quit playing God. Didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good word for it, God was going to be our director. He is the principal and we are his agents. He is the father and we are his children. Most good ideas are simple and this was a concept, and this concept was the keystone of that new and triumphant arch we began building when we say we were willing to believe or we, we now believe, right? Got my keystone in place. I've got my, my uh, cornerstone in place. I've got my keystone in place, which hold both sides of the arch together. And I'm building. I'm building through which I'll walk a free man, right? It says, um, so this is, really, this is really putting God in a position that he needed to be in all the time. I'm putting God in a position that I always had you in. You had, the, you, had the, the, you had the ability to make me feel like a somebody or a nobody, like a something or a nothing. And I was constantly trying to game you and fabricate something that would have you give me value because I felt like such a zero. And if I got a smile or a pat on the back or a that a boy, it made me feel like about a 50. You know what I mean? It made me feel about like a five but I still had to put my head on that pillow at night and knew you were giving it to a fraud. Where does a person go when they're literally chipping away their own life? When they're chipping away their own value as a human being? We go to the bottle. That's where we go. We go to the bottle. We get drowned in it. We can't get out of it. Right? So now I'm putting God in the right place. I'm, I'm committed. I'm, I'm in this thing now. And it says, when we sincerely take this position, all sorts of remarkable things follow. We have a new employer being all-powerful. He provides what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. What is his work? 4 through 12, that's what they're talking about. I'm going to make a decision that will affect my life and the lives of everybody I know in just a page or two. I'm going to make a decision that will have a have the, 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 the impact of my, the rest of my destiny. Because I know what happens if I don't. I'm certain, right? So it says, more and more, it says, um, less and less we became interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. More and more we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, we discovered we could face life successfully. As we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or hereafter. We were reborn, but there is work to do to get there. They're talking about what happens. If I just take this position that God is going to be in charge of my, my life, that I'm going to place my life in his care, and I'm going to do some, I'm going to do some more instructions. I'm going to follow some more directions so that I can have that happen. And they're just dangling the carrot. And if you're looking at this and you're reading this and you're saying, oh, that doesn't look attractive to me at all. Well, then you ain't done. <laughs> Maybe you got to drink a little more. I don't know. So here we are. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this. Here we are. We've gotten all the information. 
everything we need to make a decision that is going to be an effective, empowering, enlightening decision that will catapult me into what they call the fourth dimension of life. To establish a sixth sense, a spiritual vision, spiritual sight that I can use to interpret and discern and make decisions based on what I see and where I'm living from. I'm not going to be cerebral anymore. I'm not going to be thinking it out anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to tap into this resource that's literally going to change everything from the caterpillar to the butterfly. You got me? And this is the prayer. It says, we were now, now we're at step three. <laughs> it's like, this is in the fifth chapter. Now we're at step three. Everything we've been covering has gotten us to this place and to this prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou will. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them would bear witness to those that would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Now let me just conclude. This is how I read this prayer. God, I offer myself to me, to thee, to build with me and do with me as thou will. Relieve me of the bondage of self just so that I can do your will. Either it's self-will or God's will. It's period. Nothing in between. Just so I can do your will. Take away my difficulties. Take away the character liabilities, the greed, the lust, the sloth, the pride, the ego, the entitlement. Take away those things, the lying and the cheating and the manipulating. Because if I walk around where you've taken those away, you've given me the ability to participate in this thing and they're removed, they see you. They don't see me. They hear you. They don't hear me. If I'm walking around with those Gone, that victory over them would bear witness to those that would help with your power, your love, and your way of life. May I do your will always. Next week, we're going to talk about step four. Thank you. All right, let's thank uh, Joe again. Wonderful. Can I get the uh, secretary report, Joe? Doing. My name is Switching Hat Joe, and I am the secretary now. You recovered alcoholic secretary. Happy to be here. Um, in keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. The baskets are now going around, and don't worry, folks. For those of you that don't have cash. Uh, we have a Square app thing um, that allows you to pay with all major credit cards. So you're in luck. There's always a way to contribute here at the at the meeting, um, Alcoholics and God. Um, yes, at the moment now, I've asked Andrew to come read the recovered statement. Um, here, um, many of us refer to ourselves as a recovered alcoholic, and we're going to have Andrew explain exactly, precisely what that means to be recovered. Thank you. Recovered alcoholic named Andrew. Hi, Andrew. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. 
No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, Andrew. 1940-style big book sponsorship. From the forward to the second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75-plus percent success rate. Um, at this time, I'm going to ask for a show of hands of recovered alcoholics in the room. Beautiful. Does anyone need a sponsor at this time? In the room or in the Zoom room, please raise your hand. And all the recovered alcoholics, any hands you see raised, please reach out to them. Help bring them to God. Um, this meeting's awesome, but what's also awesome is on Monday nights, there's a big book study meeting here. It's a great time. Um, fellowship starts at 630 uh, the meeting itself starts at 715. Go in the Zoom, say hello to each other in a nice little community. Um, video. video. We got video and audio. T 2020, we're killing it. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that like does. Zoom is video. Um, yes, there's a uh, video of a beautiful historical slideshow. That will be flowing. Get your history, all you history buffs or anyone interested in the beautiful program you represent. Pop in there. Look at that. That's good. <laughs> all right. Uh, as well, uh, go to your local intergroup. There they have CDs, mugs, large room, big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries to help you be the best sponsor you can be. Um, pop over there and get those. Um, Reminder, we meet every Thursday here, promptly starting at 7.15, fellowship starting at 6.30. We ask you to be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. Thank you. See you next week. Covered alcoholic Zach. Uh, I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study and those whom wish to thank tonight's speaker, please line up down center aisle. Uh, let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Um, who woke us up this morning? Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, daily bread, and give us trespassers, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever.
shining through But when you crying on the rain So stop your sighing baby And be happy again Yes and keep on smiling
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. See the light. 
lessons when I go to sleep at night and I dream now. song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Just won't set me free. Well, 